Are you an entrepreneur looking to have your business grow with a little help from the internet? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Harness the Web with your host, Steve Pack. Hey, everybody. This is Steve Peck at HarnessTheWeb.net, and I'm here today with Walt Grassel. Walt slices through the I can't like a hot chainsaw through butter. At the age of 50, near the end of his 37-year career with a Fortune 500 company, Walt chose to face a huge fear, speaking in public. He is now an entertainer, speaker, writer, and radio personality. He hosts a radio show, Stand Up and Speak Up, on the – Radio Star Worldwide Network. You can find more about Walt at waltgrassel.com. And that's Walt with a grassel, G-R-A-S-S-L.com. Walt, welcome to uh, Harness the Web today. Steve, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, it's so great. Um, you know, Walt and I actually we met, I guess, a few months ago at a conference. It's, I guess it really explains like why people should go to conferences because you meet some really interesting, cool people there. And, um, it's, and, and Walt's got a really interesting uh, background. So maybe, Walt, you could just fill in a little bit about more about yourself personally, you know, elaborate on your bio and fill in kind of like who Walt Grassel is. Okay, Steve, I'd be happy to, and I'll keep it relatively brief, but it's really the purpose uh, why I do what I do today. I started out at the age of 17, a few years before my 18th birthday, uh, and I went to work at an aerospace company as a technician. And I was very shy, and I couldn't talk to strangers, much less an audience at that time. And as I started working there, I went to school, I got my engineering degree and got into leadership. And rose up the ranks in spite of having this big flaw of not being a good presenter. That not only hurt me presenting to my peers, my bosses, my customers, but it also hurt in job interviews. But in spite of that, I was able to rise to a level where I managed fairly big, uh, you know, $50 million projects. I led a department of a hundred design engineers in spite of that flaw. And there's no doubt that had I done something about stage fright before the age of 50, I would have advanced further in the company because I know I bombed several promotion interviews. However, you know, I used the skills that I learned to be effective, especially one-on-one -on -one or with my teams that I was familiar with to lead projects successfully. But it got to a certain point where I had to take that leap and do something about it. And I joined a group called Toastmasters, and that was a good first step, but I only spoke six times in 18 months. But why, only, why only six times? One, because I was scared. Two, because I knew I wouldn't be perfect when I gave the speech, so I figured, well, if I just wait another week, I'll be a little bit more prepared to give the perfect speech. And of course, I would get up in front of the audience after procrastinating for several, several weeks, months even, and the speech wouldn't be good either because what I really needed to do was get stage time. And I talk about this a little bit in, in my book, uh, Stand Up and Speak Up, that there's a practice phase, there's a performance phase, and there's a learning phase. So you need to spend time learning the skill, which when you're afraid to get up in front of an audience, you spend a lot of time in. There's the practice phase, which I think I didn't 
I didn't honor the practice portion, and to, to date, I still probably don't as much as I should, because I was afraid that if I actually got good enough to deliver the speech, that the, especially in a Toastmasters contest, then I would have to go speak in front of an even bigger audience. So I kind of self-sabotage. It's sad but true, and at least I knew what I was doing to myself. You know what I mean? It's like you come yeah. in second place and you go, dang, if I had practiced some more, I might have won that contest. But then instead of speaking in front of 50 people, I'd be speaking in front of 250 people. Uh, it's kind of a good thing I didn't practice. <laughs> so, um, but And then – you know, I went and took some workshops and there was a, a, a humor workshop so I could learn how to be funny because being funny is actually a very good way to connect with an audience. And I wrote a simple two line joke that I could not deliver in front of the 15 or so people in the class. I got up in front. My hands were shaking. My legs were shaking. I was sweating and my mind was just a blank. And I picked up the paper and People could see my hand shaking as I read the joke and my voice trembling. And at the end of that, they kind of did a little circle where we talked about what we got out of it. And one of the guys leading the, the workshop says, you know, Walt, you're, you're a big guy. When you get up on stage, we should be afraid of you. But instead, you're afraid of us. And they recommended I try stand-up comedy. So I said, yeah, that'll never happen. <laughs> nothing, nothing like really pushing you out there. Right. Well, their, their point was that if you go to an open mic session and you compare yourself to people who are just starting out like you, people who, you know, they're they're not good because they're beginners. And that's a normal part of the process instead of comparing yourself to polished comedians or polished speakers. And lo and behold, several months later, I got a thing for a Judy Carter comedy workshop. And I said, OK, I'll take this. And it wasn't really clear to me until we were involved that what the graduation was is you would do five minutes at the Hollywood Improv. And it turned out later I realized, you know, a few days before the event that this was open to the public. So in front of a full house of 200 people with a two drink minimum, halfway through that two drink <laughs> minimum, I did five minutes at the, the Hollywood Improv. And this was in March of 2009. And what was really interesting. You're listening to Harness the Web online at harnesstheweb.net with your host, Steve Pack. We'll be right back. Hey, we apologize. We had some technical difficulties. So uh, Walt was gracious enough to agree to come back, and we want to finish up the interview, and we're going to move to it right now. So the other day we were talking with Walt Grassel, and Walt um, was telling us about his journey of really um, taking on his own fear of speaking in public. And Walt uh, was telling us a story, and we got cut off, and we decided we'd just come back and, and kind of pick up where we had left off the other day. Walt was telling us that he had signed up for a stand-up comedy course. And I'm, I'm going to let him, him finish that and tell us a little bit about the course and what was going on. But it was kind of amazing to me when Walt says – that the way he took on being afraid of speaking in public was to force him put himself really out there. And when he told me that he had signed up for an online or an online, but an actual live comedy course, stand up comedy course, it's like how much how <laughs> to me how much more frightening could it be? So, well, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about that course and what was involved, and tell us about graduation. All right. In 
since it's a little bit redundant with what we talked about before, I signed up for this class and it seemed very benign. You show up to a little studio with like a dozen classmates and you learn how to write jokes over an eight week period. Every, every Saturday I would go there for a couple hours and learn how to be funny. And it was great. And in the back of my mind, I kind of forgot that the graduation would actually be a performance. It was at the Hollywood Improv. And so that Sunday night, I go to the Hollywood Improv and I turned it turns out that the show was open to the public and there were about 200 people there with a two drink minimum. And as I went in and went upstairs to the place where all the performers were, it dawned on me that I have to get up in front of 200 people and do stand up comedy. And I was never more afraid of a speaking assignment in my life, whether it was at work, talking to customers, you know, room full of a hundred people, this was worse. And I had no idea what to expect. And I was not the first one to go up. And I wasn't the last one. I was like right in the middle, about 25 out of about 50 comedians who'd been in this class. So as I'm waiting, you know, part of me is thinking, where's the back door? I'm getting the heck out of here and not doing this. But another part of me saying, you know what? You signed up for this. See it through and go do it. So they took us about in groups of five downstairs to kind of wait in line to go on. It was kind of like a production line for stand-up comics, if, if you can visualize that. And next thing you know, I'm the next person to go up. And I'm watching the guy do his uh, five minutes. And in the middle of his bit, his mind goes blank. And he reaches into his pocket and pulls out a three-by-five card that has his jokes on it. We call that a set card. And he looks at his set card and he moves on. And then finally he's done and he introduces me. And I get up there and somehow I get through about two and a half minutes of my five minutes when my mind goes blank. And I'm like... Okay, now what? So I go, oh, yeah, I've got my card in my pocket. So I reached in and I pulled out my card. I looked at it. I go, oh, okay, I'm right there. I put it back in my pocket and my mind went blank again. And I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) So I go, I reach in again, only this time I do it really slowly and really exaggerating. And I open it up and they laughed because it was a callback to the guy before (laughs) me, you know, drawing a blank. And somehow I got through my set, you know, I got laughs on some of the jokes, not all, but that, Hey, you know, sometimes they laughed when they were supposed to laugh. And when I got off that stage, as scared as I was before I went on, I was like flying. I floated up the stairs. I got bad knees and normally I'm like hobbling upstairs. It seemed like I just flew. I was so like, it was such a high And from that point forward, speaking in front of an audience was, um, I won't say it's no big deal, but it was a, you know, it's like, if I could do that, I can do anything. And that, that was really a quantum leap in my evolution of overcoming stage fright. Wow. That is so great. It it reminds me of a time something like that happened to me. Okay, tell um, us. I I want to hear. (laughs) I had ended up, I had some friends who got involved in community theater, Mm -hmm. right? And it started out, so anyways, they needed people. It started out, I was helping move sets, right? So I did that for for one play. And, you know, and then the next play they were involved with, they got me to do a little bit more. 
And then finally, they were doing a play. It was on Golden Pond, mm-hmm. right? The play was exactly like the movie, if you ever saw that. I was uh, Bill Ray, who was a dentist in that. Uh, was, anyways, doesn't matter. There's a very long conversation that goes on between the character that I was playing and uh, the character that in the movie was played mm-hmm. by Henry Fonda. We're talking, and it was just it was a comedy of errors. So we go one night that the person who's a stage manager really, right? So there's a person who sits backstage who really is keeping track of the play and knows the script, right? So if you ever get really screwed up in a play, there's somebody there to mm-hmm. kind of prompt you. Well, the normal person was off. They were, I don't know where they were that night. So we had somebody else filling in and we're going through this whole conversation and we get, we're, we have to be like 95% done. We just got to a point. I went totally blank. I had no idea where to go next. And we just started talking to each other on stage, thinking that, you know, the stage manager is going to be there and they're going to know. I mean, the scene was ended really great with the next, you know, some character ran on stage. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're just talking and we're talking and we're talking and the fill-in stage manager isn't doing anything, <laughs> you know? So it seemed like forever. Finally, I don't know, we must have hit the right cue and this next person came running out on stage. But it must have seemed like we were there for 10 minutes doing this. You know, it was probably like a minute. maybe. Well, I, I know the feeling. I was in a sketch comedy show. That was one of the things I did after the stand-up to push myself. I took improv. And I go, oh, let me try a sketch comedy show. And, you know, not knowing how to act at the, at the time. I was faking it. And, you know, the bad part in something like that, if you're given a speech and you forget where you're supposed to go or you're doing stand up, nobody knows and you can just kind of make it up. When somebody's there waiting to deliver their line after you <laughs> say the right thing and you never say it, it gets really awkward. So I, I've been where you were. That's the worst feeling, isn't it? It is because these other people are depending on you and you're like totally. You know, and so like when I as soon as I forgot what I was supposed to say, you know, not only was I screwing myself up, the the poor other guy who's probably going through the same thing, I've just screwed him up. Fortunately, he had enough presence of mind to just say something else to me. (laughs) It was wild. But anyways, times like that are putting yourself in those kinds of situations. I guess that's really what this uh, maybe the moral of this is is putting yourself in the kind of situations that cause you to stretch and grow, make, you know, I guess that I heard this today, actually, I'm listening to a podcast today and there was somebody talking about, they ended up speaking in, uh, I think they were in China or Japan or something, this huge conference they were speaking. They were actually going to be on stage with Tony Robbins and, you know, they kind of got invited along and this was their biggest thing. And they're like totally freaking out before they get on stage. And they made a call back to, to kind of their coach. And the coach says to them, well, have you ever spoken to a big group before? And the guy's like, yeah. And have you ever like kind of screwed it up? And the guy's like, yeah. And the next question was, and did anything really bad happen? No. Like, did you like 
die or did the people like charge you or you know were they throwing tomatoes at you or what like what bad like nothing happened and it's sort of like once he became present to that nothing really happened bad he kind of calmed down and was able to do it but without putting yourself in those kinds of situations you don't get you don't get a chance to grow like exactly that that experience that is the value of that that you screwed up it was a relatively high stakes situation for you you know for me at that time i messed up it was a you know in a high leverage situation but it could have been worse i could have just totally stayed blank and you know, crawled off the stage, or had to be yanked off the stage with the shepherd's hook, or whatever they do, or or they could have gonged me, you know, if it was the gong show. But not, you know, nothing yeah. bad happened. I figured out how to get back on track. I got more laughs after the fact, and I lived to tell about it. And I got a great story too. So it actually, you know, if I'd have just gone up there and nothing bad had happened, then I wouldn't have this great story, right? Yeah. And you had such presence of mind. The fact that you pulled that card out of your uh, pocket slowly and we're able whether you did it intentionally or not i don't care if, at least the audience seemed to think you did you know tied it into the guy before you it, was yeah, it, was, it wasn't until after the fact that i realized that's why they laughed that it was kind of a callback to what he had done a callbacks when you refer to something that's happened minutes or a half hour before and the simply the fact that you connect something that happened before to today will to to this instant, that will get you a laugh. It's a very effective comedic uh, tool. And I think I just did it, and I realized after the fact, oh, that's why they laughed. They weren't really laughing at me, although they might have been. I choose to believe they were laughing because I did a callback <laughs> intentionally, uh, subconsciously, to what he'd done before. Because I definitely remember him <laughs> reaching into his pocket when he was stuck. And I was also trying to buy more time because it's like, all right, I've already looked at this once and forgotten it. <laughs> I better really take my time, really pay attention, really read every word that's on there. So hopefully I'll remember it for the two seconds it takes to put it back in my pocket. So let me ask a question about sure. all of this. So what what was it of like all the things in your life, right, of all the different aspects of life that you could take on? When you, uh, you know, at the point you did, you, how old again were you when you decided to be, to take on this like public speaking? Almost 50. So for all intents okay. and purposes, let's say 50 years old. So, so there's a lot of things you could have done at 50. You could have taken up golf or chess or something, mm -hmm. right? Or like, wh what was it that had you take up speaking in public? It, it, it was actually quite simple because I thought I was going to spend my retirement golfing. I did take up golf also late in life at a, probably about 45. And I go, okay, let me spend my retirement. I'll get up in the morning. I'll go you know, play either the back nine or go ahead and play 18 holes. Then I'll come home and you know, maybe work out you know, maybe sit in my underwear and watch TV and just do that. But it was really about uh, when I went on this journey, because for work, I was able to just say, you know what, I don't do this well, but I do all these other things good, just kind of deal with it. My boss finally called me on and said I had to get better at this. And I'm not one to do things halfway. If I take on something, I want to be serious about it because otherwise I'm wasting my time and the people who are trying to teach me. So I joined Toastmasters and I went on the journey that I probably explained in the last segment. But it got to the point where I wanted to be good enough to get paid to speak by the 
time I was old enough to retire, which at the time was like, I think it was like three and a half years. Actually, it was four and a half years from that February 2008 pivotal point in my life. And and once I did that, it's like, okay, now I have this skill. And in doing improv and stand-up, it just opened up a whole new world. And I found out the thing I feared is really something I enjoy doing. And, and, and so it was just a complete flip of the switch. It, and I didn't intend in February of 2008 to be a speaker and to want to be a speaker. It was just, it's like, look, four and a half years is plenty of time to get over this fear. So let me keep working, take small steps, and eventually I'll get there. And then as I went on this journey and started taking these other detours, I thought, you know what, to get up in front of an audience and get them to laugh when you want them to laugh, that's pretty cool. That's fun. And to, and as I'm getting into acting now, to be able to tell a story as a character to move or entertain an audience, that's fun. Had I stayed in my little box of being afraid, I'd never be in a position to entertain people. And, you know, I think deep down inside, I always thought it would be cool if I didn't have this fear. And, you know, growing up as a kid, I'd listen to talk radio all the time. And I thought, oh, it'd be really cool to be a, a radio show host. Guess what? Now I am. I mean, it's, I'm basically able to live my dreams that, that were not possible before I went on this journey. That is awesome. Has anything else opened up for you like any other what other avenues or what other things have opened up since you began this oh it's it's like one thing after another i like to say when opportunity knocks answer the door because there are many doors that are behind it i've you know i started out i did the stand-up thing then i took acting classes a person in my acting class oksana grishina is the two-time miss olympia fitness and she's won the arnold classic the last two years She's hosting a pole fitness event in the end of June, I believe, and she's asked me to be the MC for the amateur portion of that contest. So I'm going to be at a fitness event, and I'm going to be the master of ceremonies. I got hired by a print and commercial modeling agency, so I've been out on some auditions for auditions for some commercials. In fact, one of the commercials I didn't get, it was a voiceover audition, uh, showed up on the Super Bowl believe it or not. So it's, it's just like every time I try something, it leads to other opportunities. And then I meet people. And by doing my radio show, I've met so many people who've been guests on my show. It's just broadened my network of people. And if you think about the the life I'd have led in retirement, it would have been just me and the people I ran into at the golf course. You know what I mean? It would have been a very local circle of influence, I guess you'd say. And now I'm meeting people all over the country, getting to know them. I'm learning a lot. I love to learn. And through when I interview people, I learn a lot. When I'm learning these new skills, I'm learning a lot. And that just really gets me going. Now, you've wrote, written a book, I've too, written right? a book called Stand Up and Speak Up. I'm in a book. I wrote a chapter in a book called Rockstar Success Stories that has, wow. uh, let's see, I don't have a copy close to me, but Glenn Morshower, who's a actor. He was Agent Pierce on 24. Oh, I'm missing the Kane, uh, the guy that was Superman on the TV show. Dean Kane. He's in there. Some celebrities, other people who are 
in my Rockstar Mastermind. So I've written a chapter there, and I'm writing a third book called Good Leaders Ask Dumb Questions. And and as I understand, now are you already speaking on that topic? No, I've I've done some leadership speaking. I will be marketing myself as the Good Leaders Ask Dumb Questions uh, person. That's my next phase. So you think about in retirement, people do like one thing or have one hobby. Well, I'm a, I'm a speaker. I've done uh, several magazine articles. In fact, today I just got two magazines in the mail. I have them right here. One of them is called uh, Tree Care Industry Magazine. And another one is called OTC. It's a beauty magazine. And it actually has my my article in English and in what might be Chinese. So I'm, it's, it's crazy what's happened because I went on this journey. I'm, I'm just doing all this great things. And it's, it, yeah, it, it's when I tell people this, if I would actually listen to myself, I said, this is crazy. You're doing this. But it's like I, I tell people, hey, if I can do it, you can do it. It's just what I find remarkable in listening to this and, and, you know, the more I learn, what, what I really find remarkable is that you could have been on the path of, I'm going to call it the traditional American, I don't, I don't even want to say American success rate, the, the traditional American life, right? Where you, where you go out, you get a good job, you work hard, you put in your 30, 35 years, whatever, you know, and you progress and you do those things. And you set yourself up for retirement, you retire, and you're still real, a relatively young person. And you go and, um, you know, I don't want to say you atrophy, but you kind of, I think traditionally, people kind of go in the reverse at that point. You know, they sit down and they start doing less and less. And just, I don't know, it's weird. And you've actually, the point is, you've done the exact opposite. You got done that and you said, hey, I'm now going to take on life even more. I'm going to I'm gonna kind of turn up the heat on the, on the stove and I'm going to jump in and then I'm going to keep cranking it up and I'm going to do more and more and more. And it seems like the more that you do, the more doors open up to have you do more, even more and, stuff. You know, that that's a gr- good point. And there's a few subtle differences there. I mean, the traditional thing is, yeah, you go work for corporate America. And when you leave, you know, you're done with it and you just live off your pension. And then, excuse me, and then you do all the things that you couldn't do when you were, you know, when you had your nose to the grindstone and you travel or you do the woodworking projects at home or you pursue your hobbies. And, you know, with me, I, I've sort of reinvented myself in my book. I actually call it Walt 2.0, like a software rep. You know, Walt 1.0 had the defect of stage fright. Well, Walt 2.0 it doesn't have that defect, so it's opened up a whole new world. But the biggest difference is, is that I set my own schedule. I don't have a boss telling me, say, you know that book that you're doing that's going to enable you to be a speaker? It needs to be done by February 29th, 2016. And if you don't have it done, oh, boy, you're going to get nailed in your performance review. (laughs) And, you know, even though you've been here for 37 years, you know, you may lose your retirement. We may fire you. I got none of that. If it doesn't get done today, you know what? I'll do do something else. And it allows me to juggle it without any negative consequences. But I do have in my life accountability partners people who I'll say, look, 
you know, I, I want you to hold me accountable. I'm going to have this book done by, you know, April, let's say April 30th at the latest. Let's shoot for April 1st. And if I can get it done by April 15th, I'll be in pretty good shape. And so I've got a friend that's going to hold me accountable to that. But again, let's say I have an opportunity to do auditions, you know, one a week or two a week from now till April 15th. Well, guess what? The book ain't going to get done and I'm okay with it because I got to go on auditions and I might get some commercials or I might get a role in a TV. You know what I mean? It's like I'm free to juggle these things. And I even wrote a blog about it on my website. It's like you're free to choose your dreams and you're responsible for the choices you make. So if you want to be, if you want to land a speaking job or uh, become a professional speaker, then you have to take certain steps. And if you don't take those steps, you won't get the result you want. But if you take them, you will. It's, it's up to you to choose. It's not up to somebody else to say, hey, you know, Walt, uh, I hear you want to be a speaker. Well, if you don't do this, you're not going to get there. And it's like, yeah, I know that. But it's, I'm free to choose, right? It's, and it's just, it's so liberating to, number one, not have to need the income from these activities, which allows me to take them at my own pace. You know, I feel for people who want to become an actor and have to juggle, do I get a job that won't allow me time to audition so I can pay my rent and feed myself and take care of my family versus you got to trade your art versus your your uh, income, right, and your Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But I'm I'm free to chase all these things because I have a retirement income. But instead of sitting around doing nothing, I'm going out having fun and chasing these dreams that I didn't even know I had when I was in my 40s. That's awesome. That, that really can you is tell so I'm cool. excited to be loving it. this life? Yeah, it's, it really can. You have me like thinking, oh, I wonder what else I could take on that is like totally, un, for me, like unreasonable. Like what would be, would be something I could do that's totally unreasonable that I would just love to do and there's something in the way that that's keeping me from mm. doing it, you know, some fear. But um, I can't think of anything right now, so I'm not going to – anyways, that's yeah, that. Yeah, I have to catch myself <laughs> uh, because as a <laughs> – as a radio show host myself, I want to turn the table and say, so, Steve, come on, think a minute, think about it. But <laughs> I defer to the host. I bow down to you. And so I take on enough things that I'm kind of, I don't, I wonder why I'm doing them. But anyways, they're fun. So that's good. So tell me, and you just kind of hit it on it a little bit, right? I mean, the, the name of our show really is, it's called Harness the Web. So in all of these things that you're doing, how are you utilizing the internet to help you? Whoa, that's um, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Well, I have a website. I was blogging more frequently. I do have blog content up there. I use social media, Facebook in particular, to promote my radio show. I There are websites that I find uh, acting opportunities on. So... To me, social media is a big piece of what I do to promote my radio show. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. The other thing is I'm always learning. Like one of the things I'm going to start doing right now, believe it or not, I'm going to take on another endeavor and I'm going to teach, I'm going to learn how to play the piano. And I found some online wow. tutorials there and I am going to also, uh, take lessons. So that's another thing I'm adding to my arsenal because there's an entrepreneur that I met in another mastermind that I'm in and she does an event called wine, cheese, and keys. If 
I don't know if you've heard of these things where people go and drink wine and paint. Okay, <laughs> oh, so yeah, this yeah, is the I piano have, yeah. equivalent. She teaches you how to play a song during like a two-hour window. And it's I went for the second time just last night. And coincidentally, I'm going to interview this lady on my show that's coming Thursday. But I'm not sure when this is going out. But anyways, because and in doing some research for the show, uh, music is very important to the soul i mean confucius there's an old confucius quote that i don't have off the top of my head but how it's music is really important to us listening to music helps your body but learning to play an instrument helps your mind and that's one of the things i've really been pursuing in my retirement how to access and make my mind more efficient like tapping into the power of the subconscious mind. What kinds of things can I do to keep myself sharp, to delay the onset of things like Alzheimer's and just uh, general senility, which I may actually be too late to catch, but, you know, hey, stuff happens. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I mean, I do puzzles like Sudoku and other variety puzzles and different things like that to keep myself sharp. But I think learning to play an instrument will be, something that will be helpful and fun. And so if it meets those two definitions, you know I'm all in. And did you play any instruments when okay, you were younger? Here's the story. I just told this the other day. When I was about five or six, <laughs> my parents, who are uh, German immigrants, uh, I, I must have said I wanted to learn how to play the accordion. But when you're small and trying to hold an accordion to play it, that lasted maybe a handful of lessons. Then when I was like in third or fourth grade, I said, oh, I want to learn how to play the clarinet. And guess what? It was a choice between practicing the clarinet or playing baseball in Little League. Guess which one? Not the clarinet. Then I, then I had knee surgery, <laughs> and I always wanted to learn how to play the harmonica. So I got a harmonica and some books that kind of taught you how to play the harmonica, and I could whip out a few songs on the harmonica, but... I play with the harmonica. I don't play the harmonica. So I I have a little bit of that, and I went to Catholic school, and they taught us how to, you know, we'd have singing classes, and I learned how to read notes and that kind of stuff. But if you were to ask me, do I know really anything about playing a piano? Um, I know a little bit more than not than nothing, but not much. That's cool. I I know this is what I know. I know that there are black keys and white keys. I don't know how many, but I know. I believe the number I know is that. 88. That's just because it's easy to remember because it's the same number twice. But, yeah, I know a little bit. I can find C on the keyboard, and I know it. there's only eight letters. So, I, you know, I can kind of stumble through that. Yeah, I do remember those. Having also gone to a Catholic school, as a young, young boy, I was in a boys' choir, an all-boys' choir, and – the the choir director actually made us learn we had to learn music really so i learned the the notes and you know Sharps, all that stuff that. yeah yeah how to read music and stuff and i at that time i actually learned how to play the guitar but i learned and when everyone was learning how to play like you know like rock and roll or whatever at the time right <laughs> i had to learn classical so i was studying tchaikovsky when people were studying you know the rolling stones so <laughs> But, in any case, you know, but it's good, and it's—I mean, it's been a—it's—I'm assuming it's been a long time since you played. 
Yeah, yeah, it has. I still have a guitar, but it looks, you know, it's sort of, I have to blow the dust off. It's, to find. But if, hey, if you get a chance to listen to the podcast of my show, uh, you know, you may find a, an inspiration to pick it up again and or pursue something else. One of the reasons I chose the harmonica was because one thing I learned in Catholic school doing the, the singing thing, I can't sing. Or I don't think I can sing. <laughs> so I, I, you know, with the harmonica, it's kind of hard to sing with a harmonica in your mouth. And I figured I'd be safe from anybody asking me to sing along with what I'm playing. So I'm taking a bit of a risk trying to play the piano because I may end up having to sing. That's great. It's um, well, we could talk forever about some of those stories. But tell me, what's a piece of advice you have for people that something that they could do, you know, beginning today, right? Something they could do today that really um, would add something to their life or, you know, something that they could do to, to leverage, to, 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 I'm going to say, say it this way, something that the people could do today to turn up the heat in their own life that would be really pretty simple. It, it, I'll break it down. It, it's, it's as simple as this. If you decide if there's something you can do that will make you, better in whatever endeavor you want, either professionally, business-wise, or personal. Identify what that is. Look at where you need to go to do that so you can set a direction, but then take a series of small steps in that direction. And if every day you take one small step, eventually you will get there. And that's that was the key to me changing my behaviors. It was a series of small steps. There were some changes in direction, and I, I went to different places than I necessarily had originally planned on, but it was all part of the journey. And it's really coming up with the mindset that just because you couldn't do something before doesn't mean you can't do it now. And that applies applies to most things we tell ourselves I can't do. Now, I know I can't dunk a basketball. I've got bad knees. And unless they lower the rim, you know, I can't dunk a basketball. But could I, you know, improve my shooting? Yes. Could I learn how to play the piano? Yes. Could I learn how to tell jokes and do stand-up comedy? Yes. Most of the thing we tell us, we tell ourselves we can't do it's we couldn't do or we're not able to do today. But if we decide that we want to do it, there are steps you can take to get there. And it's really change your mindset that you can't do it from I can't do it till to I'll learn how to do it and then just take small steps to get better and better every day. That's the simple advice. It's very basic, but I think we try to make things too complicated. That is cool. So so for me, it sounds like I'm gonna to have to dust off the guitar, get it out, and um, as we were as we were speaking, I'm even afraid to even say this. I'm thinking, oh, I should at least learn to play it again enough to do like the intro and outro to my podcast. There you go. If you know, if if that's you know? what you want to do, or you or you know what, you may say, you know what, I liked the guitar when I was taking the guitar. But you know what? I want to play a saxophone now. And then take saxophone lessons, whatever it is that you want to do. And, you know, don't be tied to the dreams of your past either, right? If that was your childhood dream to play the guitar. But dreams sometimes change. But what is your dream today? You know, is it the guitar? Is it the piano? Yeah, that's great. I love that. 
That is so great. I'm, I'm gonna let us. I'm gonna let you leave us with that. That's a great thing. To uh, what are your dreams of today, and what do you do to? What can you do to get started on down that path? That's very cool. Um. So, well, let me ask you. So, I know you have a radio show. So, one, I would like you to tell people how they can find you on the radio or where they could listen to you know past episodes of that. And then, how also do they get a hold of you if somebody wants to book you? Uh, for a talk, they want to book you as a guest. They want to book, you know, have you in for an audition for an acting job, whatever it might be. How do people reach well, out? To I you? have a website, waltgrassel.com, and Grassel is spelled G-R-A-S-S-L. There's no vowels at the end, so you know I'm validly challenged. But you can find out about my radio show, show there. It's on the Radio Star Worldwide Network, but it's it's easier to just find it from my website, and you can email me at walt at waltgrassel.com if you've got any acting jobs. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be an Academy Award-winning film for the first one, but um, I'll take it if you got it. <laughs> that is so great. I love it. Well, thank you so much for t- speak, taking the time to spend with us and to share your story and really inspiration. And hopefully uh, listening to uh, to this, you know, someone will find that little thing that they've always wanted to do. They'll, they'll find the inspiration and the courage to take the first step and, you know, yep. one step at a time. Definitely. Thanks Sounds for awesome. having me, Steve. I really appreciate it. Thank right. you so much. Thanks so much for listening to Harness the Web with your host, Steve Fett. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit HarnessTheWeb.net. We'll see you next time.